Blog Talk Radio. Governor Rick Snyder 
has agreed to provide $195 million in state funding that will limit pension cuts to no more than 4.5% and protect the Detroit Institute of Art from liquidating its collection. Mm -hmm. This is a settlement. This is not a bailout, Snyder said. And I want to be very, very clear about that. Not so fast, Governor Snyder. Americans for Prosperity has built a shiny website, shamelessly named StrongerDetroit.com. Uh, you know, that, uh, that's uh, backed by uh, the Koch brothers and, uh, and uh, what's his face there? Uh, 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 what was Bush's advisor? Uh, Bush's friend. Uh, uh, oh, uh, 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 Carl Rowe. That shrieks, no yeah. more bailouts. It is committed to contacting 90,000, or oh, wait a minute, Leo's looking for the water. 90,000 Michigan conservatives to get them to tell their Republican representatives to back to Buck Schneider. And what runs with Buck? Detroit. The group promises to run ads against any Republican who votes in favor of the bankruptcy settlement. Remember, Snyder is no bleeding heart liberal, far from it. He has come under fire from Democrats and civil rights advocates for his heavy-handed use of executive power to put the finances of struggling Michigan cities, including Detroit, under state control, often usurping the power of African-American elected officials. In 2012, he flip-flopped on campaign promises to oppose an anti-union right-to-work law, signing the bill much loved by the Koch brothers. Can you bring that forward, Leo? That whole computer is so far back, I can't uh, see it. No, but I can increase that. Uh, this is about a three-minute thing, if you want to listen. Yeah, to let's listen to that. Uh, I don't know if this is... The mobile... Wait, we're traveling across America with your friends. Uh, no, that's not that. Oh, it's not part of that. That's not that. Uh, hang on a second. Oh, that would be good. Oh, that's better. Is that better? Yeah. I can make it bigger, too. Oh, that looks quite big. Yeah. As the uh, the New York Times' David Firestone notes, even leaving aside the long history of racism that hobbled Detroit, the state bears some blame for the city's fiscal troubles cutting revenue sharing while the city's own tax base eroded. Demos found that those revenue sharing cuts accounted for one-third of the city's revenue loss between 2011 and 2013. Of course, Detroit bashing has long been a staple of right-wing rhetoric in which the city's struggles are solely the fault of poor choice and corruption by its African-American leaders and the moral faults and bad behavior of its African-American residents. Dog whistling about Detroit continued during the 2012 GOP primary in New Call when Newt Greenwich declared, I know how, whoops. I know how many of the whole country took. Uh, I know how to make the whole country look like Texas. Uh, President Obama knows how to make the whole country resemble Detroit. But some Michigan Republicans are tuning out the dog whistling and the coke whining. Foundations and art benefactors have pledged $466 million for the deal, while the United Auto Workers and Michigan's Building and Construction Trades Council have pledged to contribute to the settlement. 
That has won over Republicans who said they'd oppose the deal unless unions coughed up money, too. The vote could come as early as Thursday. The GOP House Speaker pro tem, John Walsh, believes he has the voters to at least get the bill to the state Senate, arguing the deal saves the state money in the long run. We have conservative estimates that if we can't reach settlement and there are no more cuts to the pensioners, the state will realize over, over 20 years over $250 million in social safety costs, Walsh told reporters. These are people that will fall into the social safety net because we're not talking about wealthy people at all. We're talking about people who are barely making it. But the Cokes don't care about people who are barely making it. Firestone puts it better than I can. The Koch brothers apparently want city workers and retirees to publicly suffer for the sin of having been union members. They want bondholders and insurance companies at the front of the creditors' line and don't seem to care if the Detroit Institute of Arts has to sell up its paintings and sculptures to put them there. If they have in so many other areas of public life, two of the country's wealthiest citizens are using their good fortune to make life far more difficult for those at the bottom of the ladder. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't understand why... What they're getting out of that. Yeah, what are, what are they getting out, just other than to, to just be miserable just bastards? Be you know, just to be pricks. You know, yeah. It would be great to see Michigan Republicans reject the avaricious global titans meddling in local affairs. Stay tuned. I hope and, so. And uh, this is on Salon.com, but the... Uh, but you know, these guys—the only are is just, just sick bastards, man. It's, it's a sickness. It's a sickness beyond belief. Okay, and uh, you know they—they—they—they're reptilian. You know, they're reptilian. What's this about? Oh, uh, oh the yeah, that, that, that was that important. Was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we read that, but it was nice to hear it again. I posted it because um, Governor Peter Schumann, uh, Schumann. Uh, Vermont signed a GMO bill into law, right? And uh, that was uh, uh, May 8th, yeah. okay? But it was nice to hear that again. Um, let's see. Let me question. Why is our food being made and modified by the world's largest pesticide manufacturer? Yeah. What is that? Did they want to kill you? Why is that? No. You have two dogs looking like they're stoned, and it says, Dude, you sure that was a cigarette? Oh, okay. One dog saying that to the other. Oh, all right. How cute that was. A friend of mine sent me that. They send you some cute things. They do, yeah. Uh, uh, Oh, here's something interesting. Russia-China deal to bypass the U.S. dollar. Yeah, this is what's going on here. Just so you know. Latest nail in the U.S. dollar coffin. They've been working on this for a while, and now that we've sanctioned them, mm-hmm. right, it's even worse. And um, I'm in Singapore, and I'm about to go on stage in just a few minutes. I have not given a presentation for over a year. Uh, oh. I'll pass on that because it's just, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's 36 minutes long. Oh. Welcome to the third Michael Mahoney's secret, secret hidden money. Maloney. You, you, you can check this out. Uh, I was asked to speak uh, at an event in Singapore 
and to give his opinion on the future of the U.S. dollar. His presentation was titled Death of the Dollar Standard and showed very clearly that the dollar standard is developing serious cracks and while likely split uh, at the seams during this decade. How will this affect you? It's not all doom and gloom, as you'll learn uh, from watching the video above. If you have any questions or comments, please leave them below. Okay, of course. But I want you to go to the... I want you to go to uh, this website so you can view this, this uh, yourself. Uh, Hidden Secrets of Money, all right? Go to that website. Hidden Secrets of you Money. You don't think we should play a little bit of that? Well, I can, but I... Yeah, okay, all right. Winston Churchill once said that the further you look into the past, the further you can see into the future. This program... It's all about creating your own crystal ball, being able to gaze into the future. I don't, I don't care about this guy. I, I'm not going to listen to 36 minutes of a guy promoting himself, but that was on that website. And if you want to see what, what's actually going on with the American money, you can go ahead and do that and watch his speech. Um, uh, sorry I brought that up. Um, um, yeah.
But is a cashless society, have to ask, actually desirable? This is a question that people all over the world will have to start asking as governments increasingly restrict using use of cash. Back in September, it was announced that the Israeli government had formed a committee to examine ways to eliminate cash from Israel's economy. Let's go a little bit more into this. Kind of an interesting question. Is it actually a desirable thing? And this is by Michael Snyder. From Investment Watch. Are you going into that? Yeah, it just took a while for it to come up. I wanted to read this one too. Folks visit the Warsaw Ghetto. Yeah, well, let me see. The committee had the full backing of. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and some of the goals of the committee include finding ways to increase tax revenue and prevent money laundering. The committee has had a few months to examine the issues and now they have come back with their recommendations. Just this week we learned that a three-phase plan is being proposed. So what do the specifics of the plan look like? Well, there will be very strict limits on the use of cash for individuals and businesses, and any violations will be considered criminal offenses, and all Israeli banks will require to issue debit cards to all account holders. What the committee would like to see happen, pending government approval, is greater restriction on the use of cash, limiting the use of checks as a means of payment in exchange for cash, and the promotion of the use of electronic and therefore verifiable means of payment. The following guidelines were set by the committee for short term. Limit, limit business transactions done in cash or by checks to $2,150 immediately. Limit private transactions done in cash or checks to $4,300. Any violation of these limits would be a criminal offense warranting a stiff fine. In conjunction with these new restrictions, Israeli banks would be required to provide all account holders with debit cards to further promote electronic payments. But of course, this move toward a cashless society is not just happening in Israel. In Sweden, it is estimated that just 3% of all transactions involve cash at this point. In fact, according to an article in the Washington Post, some Swedish banks do not handle cash anymore. In most Swedish cities, public buses don't accept cash. Tickets are prepaid or purchased with a cell phone. A small growing number of businesses only take cards and some bank offices which make money on electronic transactions have stopped handling cash altogether. There are towns where it isn't at all possible anymore to enter a bank and use cash. About the U.S. is starting to move, and the U.S. is starting to move in that direction as well. According to a study conducted by MasterCard, apparently 80% of all consumer transactions in the U.S. are now cashless. But isn't there a downside to all of this? Just about everything we do in life involves money. So yes, a government can track electronic payments to make sure taxes are being paid and money laundering is not happening. But it would also enable a government to do so much more. If a government can track all of your transactions, 
It'll eventually be able to monitor everywhere, monitor everywhere you go and pretty much keep track of virtually everything that you do. If you doubt this, just try to live without money sometime. It won't get you very far without putting some gas in your vehicle and without being able to buy food to get hungry pretty quickly. Are you beginning to understand? That is why governments love the idea of moving toward a cashless society. It gives them an immensely powerful surveillance tool. So let's hope this does not happen in Israel or anywhere else in the world either. So a mixed blessing. That's something. Like everything else. There's no blessing at all. No blessing at all. I think, um, I had a barber hope. Uh, let's, um, let's, uh, let me go to this. The only reason I want to bring this up is I think it's interesting because we, uh, Lila and I are, uh, are familiar with, uh, or know these people and, um, have met them and, their programs for television. What people? Uh, Al Oh. And uh, it turns out that the Pope visits the Warsaw Ghetto during the trip to Palestine. And he said, The children of Al the Pope at the wall, the children of Al uh, from Ada refugee camp uh, delivered a message to the Pope when he stopped to pray at the apartheid and annexation wall. Uh, they emphasize prisoners' plight and the right to return uh, home. This impromptu stop was, in my opinion, the most memorable part of the Pontus' visit to Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. The Pope recognized the state of Palestine, right? But he also, there's another following article I'm bringing up, that he actually prayed at the Zionist, uh, at the... at the, uh, to go to the other wall. Yeah, you no, know, he prayed at the... Uh, 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 um, Tomb, tomb of the founder of Zionism. Yeah. Piece of crap. Okay, the state of Palestine. Google just uh, just did it too. The Pope recognized the state of Palestine, all right, which is good. And also met with refugee children um, at Deshaies and shared food with some family members who each had a story to tell him about horrific suffering under Israel's colonial occupation. Well, Christians and Muslims were... Uh, here we're all genuinely touched by the visit of this most more humble Pope and his gestures of understanding and solidarity. But most said they wished he would use his influence more to pressure the Zionist regime. Well, the Western Zionist-dominated media uh, tried to hide things, uh, including the Pope's gestures of solidarity with us, but uh, social media was prominent and the story could not be ignored. And then the Pope later went on to Tel Aviv to be, uh, to be was, uh, the Pope later went on to Tel Aviv and was sandwiched between two Zionist uh, Polish liars <laughs> who continued to build walls of hate and destruction. Persky, uh, uh, a.k.a. Perez, and Milakowski, a.k.a. Uh, Netanyahu. Oh, they changed their names. The, uh, the Pope had to, uh, uh, listen, as both atheists said that God gave this land to the Jews and that Israel was the land of the Jewish people and is a, a democracy that guarantees freedom of religion. Baloney. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the Pope is also forced to lay a wreath at the tomb of the Theodore Herzl in addition to the obligatory stops at uh, Yad Vashim and Herod's uh, retaining 
can you imagine Herod's retaining wall? Uh, and it's almost sick. Can you imagine that? Mm, no. That, that he would honor Herod? <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, let's see. I forgot where we were. I just dropped and Herod's retaining wall. Yeah. Uh, boo, boo, boo. And uh, Herth Kersey is another atheist who is, a, is credited with organizing a worldwide Zionist movement that uh, resulted in hundreds of thousands of deaths, not counting those crimes committed by its subverted, uh, subservient armies, like the U.S. Army killing Iraqis. It is a movement that has created millions of refugees and continues to commit crimes against humanity as it consolidates an apartheid system here while money laundering billions of illicit financial gains money. Uh, and uh, Israel continues to demolish homes and lands just to welcome the Pope. Israel murdered Palestinian youth, imprisoned many, destroyed over 1,500 trees in the land of the Nassar Valley, and called Tent, uh, called tent of Nations, and more. Israeli Jewish activists were distributed flyers calling for the destruction of churches, okay, claiming Christian worship idols uh, according to Jewish law, and some spray graffiti on churches that Mary is a cow and Jesus the son of a whore. And I do not. These are these are these are fucking Jews. Sorry, what kind of crazy bastards are they? These are these are normal people. Come on, these people are sick, sick, sick. They don't fall into any form of religion. They're just sick. Who are these Zionist leaders that brilliantly brainwash Jews to support racist Zionism? And pressure some Gentiles to do the same. I mean, it's it's true. It's it's just true. I can't. It's beyond me how they can get away with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Simone Perez was born as, as uh, Shimon Persky in Vizna, Poland. Now, Belarus. He and his parents came to Palestine in 1934 under British rule. He joined the underground terrorist group the Haganah and served as a chief of its manpower division in the 1940s and participated in the ethnic cleansing of 1948 to 49. He is the architect of Israel's nuclear program. Appointed in 1953 as Director General of the Ministry of Defense, he immediately started exploring the nuclear uh, development um, in the late 1950s and early 1960s. Israel developed its nuclear program primarily with the help of France while maintaining the Perez Doctrine of Ambiguity. And U.S. and Britain and other countries look the other way. He is known as a slick politician, able to lie with the ease, claiming wanting peace, but rejecting any responsibility for his ethnic cleansing of Palestine, and rejecting the rights of refugees to return to their homes and lands. He was awarded with Rabin and Arafat the Nobel Prize, uh, Peace Prize, for their disastrous Oslo Accord. And many noble Nobel uh, Peace, I'm sorry, many Nobel Committee members later signed it, a letter regretting they awarded Persky the Nobel Prize um, based on his actions as a member of the Sharon government during its war crime spree. So, you know, it goes on now that, you know, this guy, this guy's one third bag, all right? And uh, let's see, uh, Benjamin Miloshowski, or a.k.a. Netanyahu, was uh, born to uh, Benzian Melkowski, okay, Polish immigrant. 
His Americanized father became secretary to terrorist leader Vladimir, um, I can't even pronounce his name, Zabandisky, uh, founder of the revisionist Zionism <laughs> and supported group that, like, I mean, this whole thing is so bizarre. The revisionist Zionism. There's, there's a, a piece of audio, audio yeah. that you could play yeah. to be clearer, Leo. They say they're for this, but it's not. You know, okay. I don't even know if this is enough. See what that audio piece is. It might be may a little clearer. Oh, that's <coughs> <a
On November 27, 38 months after Royal Dutch Shell announced its pursuit of a massive gas deal in southern Iraq, the oil giant had its contract signed for $17 billion. Three days later, the U.S. energy, uh, U.S.-based energy firm Emerson submitted a bid for a contract to operate a lease at, uh, to operate Iraq's giant Zubair oil field, which reportedly holds some 8 million barrels of oil. Earlier this year, Emerson was awarded a contract to provide crude oil metering systems and other technology for a new oil terminal in Basra currently under construction in the Persian Gulf. And the company is installing control systems in the power stations in Hila and Kerbala. Iraq's supergiant Rumalia oil field is also being developed by BP. The other supergiant reserve, Mejun oil field, is being developed by Royal Dutch Shell. Both fields are in southern Iraq. Western oil firms remain as the U.S. exits Iraq. It sounds like the big boys are dividing the spoils among themselves. It's because they are. Exxon, BP, and Shell, they're all here. They all have their contracts in hand, and they're all drilling their brains out thanks to the American servicemen and women who gave their lives to some trumped-up baloney about weapons of mass destruction. Isn't that what's going on? Sure it is. And even now, after all the reasons for going to war have been exposed as lies, the farce continues. Nothing has changed. Nothing. There's still no talk of reparations, no official investigation, no indictments, no prosecutions, no trial, no penalties, no nothing. Not even a stinking apology. Just a big up yours era. We're way too important to apologize for killing millions of your people and reducing your 5,000-year-old civilization to a pile of rubble. Instead, we'll just screw you some more and paper it over with a little public relations. Like Obama did a couple of weeks ago when he promised to leave behind a sovereign, stable, and self-reliant Iraq with a representative government that was elected by its people. Oh, yeah. And don't forget the $3 billion uh, embassy that was built in, in, uh, in Iraq as well. Yep. You know, oh, yeah. The $3 billion Obama's all about sovereignty and stability. That's why Baghdad is the terror capital of, world, of the world. These PR probes are effective, though. They provide the necessary cover for enough troops behind to protect <clears throat> the oil installations and the pipelines. pipelines. That's the kind of security Obama cares about. Security for the oligarchs and their stolen property. Everyone else can fend for themselves which is why Baghdad is such a bloody mess. And here's more from Al Jazeera. Prior to the 2000 invasion and occupation of Iraq, U.S. and other Western oil companies were all but completely shut out of Iraq's market. But thanks to the invasion and occupation, the companies are now back inside and producing oil there for the first time since 1973. Yeah, thanks for the invasion, Mr. Bush. We couldn't have done it without you. Have you had a great retirement painting pictures and poodles and stuff while people continue to get blown to pieces yeah. in the terrorist hellhole you created? Yep. So, anyway, we're thrilled. It's a really long article, but that's, I don't you know. know. Okay, it's, it's what it is. Um, that's very strange. 
Mandatory minimum sentencing laws enabled him to enable this to happen and remain a, a dangerous threat to the freedoms of America, blah, blah, blah. But no relief. The case of Richard uh, Pay dates back to 1985. And that, 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 that year, Pay, a husband and father, became paralyzed after a severe automobile accident. His condition worsened after a blunt surgery. I felt my legs were being dipped into a furnace, uh, Pay explained to CBS. They were burning and I couldn't move them. It was an intense pain over time. Uh, will literally drive you to suicide. Um, Mr. Payne knows that because he tried to kill himself twice, and for me, death would have been a form of relief, he said. And adding to his misery was a, was a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. His condition made it nearly impossible to do anything except lying in bed on a steady dose of prescription opiates. Oh, uh, and his, his pharmaceutical re regimen uh, included uh, Percocet, Vicodin, and uh, acetaminophen and codeine. Because of his agonizing condition, his doses were substantial. They could take two uh, dozen pills per day. Over time, uh, he became tolerant to the drugs and required larger doses to feel relief. That placed him in dangerous position of attracting police attention. Sometimes doctors were themselves wary of. One doctor was quite frank and said it was, in a word, he said, screwed. Uh, yeah, screwed. Uh, he was screwed. Mr. Paley recalled the CBS 60 Minutes. And I was in the medical nightmare zone where you've gone through all the treatments and nothing works. And what does work, what does help, no one wants to prescribe because it attracts attention and no one wants that attention. Pepe and his family, once New Jersey resident, um, had moved to Florida. His original doctor from New Jersey agreed to continue prescribing the advanced doses of pain pills and delivers uh, them through mail and fax to ensure Mr. Pay never ran out of painkillers, an agonizing prospect. The doctors allegedly left some of them undated. Um, frequent refills of prescription opiates, uh, combined with a meddling uh, government bent on telling people how to live their lives, provided the conditions necessary to make Mr. Pay, pay an easy and inevitable target of government oppression. The Pasco County Sheriff's Office and federal DEA uh, agent began uh, monitoring his medical treatments uh, after they were tipped off by a busybody pharmacist. They had U.S. under surveillance, uh, recall Mr. Pay. They followed us to church. They followed my wife to work. They interviewed my neighbors. They went on for three months. They found nothing. And we began a legal ordeal that would take 10 years of our lives, he said. And despite the months of investigation and observation of the crippled, su of the crippled suspect, who obviously posed no threat, police dispatched, dispatched a SWAT team to arrest him in the middle of the night. One night in March 1997, the Pay family experienced a military-style raid by mass gun-welding law officers. The family was terrified when a battering ram was used to breach the door. Oh, God. Um, four or five guys in black outfits with guns, uh, they bang in and broke down my front door. Um, and checking rooms uh, looking for Richard. My first thought was that this is some type of robbery, remembered Richard, describing the no-knock raids, and there were several men in the bedroom that black ski masks and holding weapons, one pointing at me telling me not to move or that he was going to shoot me. They searched my wife, they searched me, and then they began to go through our home. 
which contained two school-aged children, explained Richard. Rich kept on saying, please call my doctor. Can you call my doctor? You know, everything's fine. Call my doctor. And they said, and they said, they already have. So what happened is, and this is what this goes on. The doctor testified against him. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just a miserable kind of deal. But he wasn't dealing, you know. No. He uh, hadn't done anything wrong. And they probably testified against him because... The guy was... Uh, well, the know, doctor was going to be held as a, a yeah, drug pusher. A drug pusher, right. Here's uh, something. Congress votes... No that you can check this out by going to Police State USA. Disgraceful uh, what happened to him. Congress votes no to close Guantanamo Bay. Still another, another Obama lie. Yep. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm waiting for this to come on this uh, um, audio piece. Did you know the press is the only industry specifically mentioned in the Constitution? That's because a free and open press is critical to our democracy. Right, Alfred. You're welcome. Stand I'm Tom Hartman, and on this show, we reveal the big picture of what's actually going on in the world. We go beyond identifying the problem. We try to fix it. Rational debate and a real discussion of the critical issues facing America. Stand by. Stand by. Ready to join the movement? Then welcome to the big picture. Hello, I'm Tom Hartman in Washington, D.C., and here's what's coming up tonight on the big picture. President Obama has tried over and over and over and over again to close Guantanamo Bay. The Republicans have said no each and every time, including another no vote just yesterday. Why are Republicans hell-bent on keeping Gitmo open when the majority of detainees have never been charged with a single crime? That and more tonight's Big Picture Rumble. According to some estimates, genetically modified organisms, GMOs, are in as much as 80% packaged foods available at your local grocery store. So are GMOs really as safe as their supporters say they are? Or is the time we started doing nationwide what two counties in Oregon did this week, ban GMO planting altogether? More on that tonight's Conversations with Great Minds. NSA reform has been hijacked. On Thursday, the Republican-controlled House passed the so-called USA Freedom Bill, a bipartisan bill that was originally intended to help rein in the NSA's bulk data collection programs and domestic spying activities. When it was first proposed, the legislation had a great deal of support from both sides of the aisle and from privacy rights organizations. The original legislation was actually very strong. While it wasn't a perfect fix that addressed every single concern out there, it was a good start at reforming and reeling in the national security state. Unfortunately, after going through various House committees in the past month, the original legislation was diluted and torn apart to the point that yesterday's House vote passing the USA Freedom Act really means nothing for those who are concerned about the privacy rights of American citizens. The legislation that was passed yesterday contains an extremely watered-down version of the transparency provision, which would allow the American people to know when the government is requesting private records from phone companies and Internet companies. 
and the legislation all but endorses the NSA reviewing and examining communications from the international community. Those are just two of the failures of this incredibly watered-down national security reform bill. Rather than push through policies and reforms that actually address the privacy concerns of Americans, what the Republican-controlled House did yesterday was approve a bill that basically maintains the status quo. So despite everything that's happened since Edward Snowden first came forward, why are our lawmakers in Washington still comfortable letting the NSA snoop on the American people with little or no oversight? Let's rubble. For tonight's Big Picture Rebel are Kyle Peterson, Managing Editor of the American Spectator, Adele Stan, Senior Digital Editor of the American Prospect, and Peter Roth, Contributing Editor at U.S. News and World Report. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. So you heard my intro. The House passed yesterday basically a shell of its former self. And I'm with Justin Amash, another Republican from Michigan. This is, this is a real issue. Representative was 
but it's a coward. It, it, it's also true. It's also true that, that the way the NSA is going about uh, the metadata collection makes it easy. And at the end of the day, these guys are bureaucrats, and bureaucrats like things to be easy. And so, something happens in Kenya, they call up somebody and say, "Pull me all the traffic of phone calls into Kenya for the last 18 months," and then they start pinging and going through with computers. I'm not as upset about Verizon holding this information because they're a private corporation, and in theory, the federal government should have to go to a judge and demand through a subpoena their right to see my email, my phone data, who I'm calling, who's calling me. If those constitutional safeguards were in place, I'd be a lot less uncomfortable about this. But what happens is the FCC makes phone calls to the phone companies saying, you know, there are some things you want from us, and if you want to get them, it might be a good idea for you to cooperate with the NSA. And so it's one part of government leaning on private sector to cooperate with another part of government leaning on private sector so that they don't have to deal with the constitutional question. I, know we have, I was just going to say I absolutely agree with that. And, and Mr. Sensenbrenner, who's been pushing the bill, has said as much. He says this is not the first oh, yeah. bill, well, but it's a step in the right and, direction. And not only that, Jim Sensenbrenner was the author of Section 215 of the Patriot Act, which is what has been turned into this giant monster right. with the NSA. But I totally um, agree with Peter that, I mean, to answer your question, why would you trust Verizon with this data more than you trust the government? Because if, if you're using Verizon and you read Comcast's agreement and Comcast is better, you can switch to Comcast. But, but Verizon can always sell your information. The government That's can, right. number one. And number two, if you, show, if you do a freedom of information filing with the government, you can learn things you can't with a private corporation. Mm -hmm. They That's can just blow you off. Um, but, and that's why I'm, I object to the privatization of all of these things. Um, I, you know, I think you're, hey, it's easier. I think you're right. I, I, I just think that there's something huge to be said for, you know, what Deep Throat has said to Bob Woodward, follow the money. Okay. You know, that we've got hundreds of billions of dollars at stake here. We had a guest on this program earlier in the week. Remember, John, they weren't following the money. They were following the FBI investigation. Yeah, yeah it was Mark Felt. It was, was Mark Felt they were the following. Yeah. Uh, uh, but... We had a guest on the program earlier in the week who suggested that we should amend the Fourth Amendment because the Fourth Amendment does not refer to surveillance, mm -hmm. and that at that at that point in time, surveillance was such a primitive thing that basically it meant breaking into somebody's house. Right. The well, it, it, covered it. There's no explicit uh, guarantee of privacy in the Constitution, and I have long argued that it would really behoove liberals to put forward an amendment that would guarantee Americans privacy with a definition of what that is that, you know, that, that is relevant to uh, the way we live now. Because who are conservatives, too? You're talking like Barry Goldwater. I, I believe. <laughs> but, you know, I operate from the, assumption, from the assumption that the underlying foundation of the Constitution is the protection of our privacy, at least as far as the government is concerned, that the Constitution explains what the powers of the federal government are, limits them, and says all the other powers are reserved to the states. Right, but it's to not explicit. To protect me and my privacy. But it's not explicit. There's no word privacy, because the notion of privacy is we but, understand but it was different. But don't care about what the words well, in the Constitution say. Also, I think I care very much about the Constitution. Quite an interesting minutiae fact. If you look up, look at a dictionary from the late 1700s, and I own one, privacy meant toilet function. Right. People, people used to say, I need some privacy, and everybody would understand that they were going to leave the table and, and go to the outhouse, which was called the privy. And so uh, the, it never even occurred to the founders that the Fourth Amendment should include the right to use the bathroom. 
So that's why the private that's the word really privacy is not appearing. <laughs> well, yeah. We're going to end this because they never really did. It wasn't until So you know, we kept, we got no. this is going on and on. Oh, that's what I was interested in. Every single year with the NDAA said, no, you may not use federal money to do this. Why do they want to keep Gibbo open? I don't get it. You've got, there's a guy down here. Uh, I don't need to get rid of this. Judge, you can't shut it up. No. <laughs> the really yeah. Yeah, no. So the one thing I was interested in, they got two, but they didn't say much about it. It's really interesting that Gail put up, uh, Gail Thompson uh, sent this over. This, uh, this guy, uh, Han Papi, Israeli historian, says, most Zionists don't believe that God exists, but they do believe that he promised them Palestine. <laughs> <laughs> He's an Israeli historian. Oh, God. email is finally available to the public, Proton Mail. When the NASA surveillance news broke last year, it went shock, sent shockwaves to uh, CERN, the, the Particle Physics Laboratory in Switzerland. Andy Yen, a PhD student, took to the young at CERN Facebook group with a simple message, I'm very concerned about the privacy issue. I was wondering what I could do about it. This was a, there was a massive response, and of the 40 or so active in the discussion, six started meeting at Stern's restaurant number one, pooling in deep knowledge of computing and physics, to found Proton Mail, a Gmail-like email system which uses end-to-end -end encryption, making it impossible for outside parties to monitor. Encrypted emails have actually been around since the 1980s, but they are extremely difficult to use. When Edward Stonen asked a reporter to use an end-to-end -end encrypted email to shield details of the NASA surveillance program, the reporter couldn't get to the system to work, says the end. Let me see what else. What they say how to get to the proton mail. States running out of water. Uh, really? Yeah. That's kind of scary. Yeah. Here, uh, seven states running out of water. The United States is currently engulfed in one of the worst droughts in recent history. More than 30% of the country's experienced at least moderate drought as of last week's data. In seven states, drought conditions were so severe that each had more than half of its land area in severe drought. Severe well, California drought. and New Mexico, I think. Yeah. Texas. Texas yeah. Severe drought is characterized by cross, uh, crop loss, water mm -hmm. uh, shortages, and mandatory water use restrictions based on data. Uh, an interview with uh, the U.S. Department of Labor, meteorologist Brad Ripley told 27.4 Wall Street that drought has been a long-running issue in 
parts of the country. And this drought has dragged on for three and a half years in some areas, particularly in North Texas. Um, so we've got some serious problems. Now, uh, what I'm going to do, I'll refer you to this article on 27, 24-7, Wall Street. Does it say uh, what those states are doing? Yeah, they're all freaking out. I know California put in some kind of water yeah. restrictions, but I don't know how if they're even uh, successful. I just wanted to mention that this proton ton, proton meal, it just launched globally out of a private beta and is currently working on an Android or iPhone app, which is expected to be ready by the end of the summer. So be looking for that, so that would be quite handy. And nobody can track your messaging and stuff. That's great. Well, anyway, uh, the show's over. And we want to thank everybody who joined us tonight. And join us tomorrow when we have uh, union issues, and uh, I think we're going to have uh, Larry Dorman with us. So uh, hopefully we can uh, we'll join us then.